0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have a Bible, uh, or I don't know, I guess your iPhone, if you use that, your iPad, certainly open your eyelids, go to Matthew 22, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 22, that's our little section we're going to go through this morning and I want to read it to you and then we'll pray and we'll get into it. So uh, Matthew 22 beginning in verse 15, it says, then the Pharisees went and they plotted how they might entangle him, Jesus, in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples along with the Herodians. So we've got two groups joining together to confront Jesus. The Pharisees and the Herodians saying, "'Teacher, we know that you are true "'and teach the way of God in truth, "'nor do you care about anyone, "'for you do not regard the person of men. "'Tell us, therefore, what do you think? "'Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not?' "'But Jesus perceived their wickedness, "'and he said, "'Why do you test me, you hypocrites?' Show me the tax money. And so they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled, and they left him, and they went their way. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and pray that Those who are here this morning listening and those that are maybe by radio, watching online, wherever they may be, Father, may we hear what you are saying. May your word be like living bread, manna from heaven, dropped down so that we can gather it, we can collect it, we can eat and devour it and be strengthened and nourished by the word of the Lord. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of our Father in heaven. And so, may we receive this word. I pray, Lord, that you would open eyes and open ears and open hearts. We, we do the same on our part, and may your word be planted very deeply within us. And we pray that you'll be glorified. Uh, and we ask all of these things in the wonderful, worthy, and mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so let's, you know, we've got a few little life lessons. The first one that I want you to note is, it is necessary that in this world, we will be tested. So I want you to notice, like, the the little life lessons are always gonna be about you. These are the, kind of, the application. Yes, we're gonna say, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus mean? Uh, But there's an application with all of that, that we have a response, and we have a responsibility And so Jesus here is being tested. And guess what? You're his follower. You're his disciple. That's why you are here. So guess what? You're going to be tested in life as well. So again, I want to read uh, verses 15 through 17 and and kind of to set up what's happening here. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his talk. And they sent him, their disciples, with the Herodians, Saying again, teacher, we know that you are true. Now, I think they're being disingenuous. If they really believed he was teaching the truth, they wouldn't have been asking him this question, certainly not trying to challenge him or trap him. But they're kind of laying it on like, oh, yes, you're wonderful. And you teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Now tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not. This was probably on Tuesday of Passover week. Um, So it started with Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday then, you know, goes to Friday, which will be uh, the Passover meal and, and all of the sacrifice of the lambs. And this is Passover week. So Jesus is being challenged and tested. His enemies are trying to trap him by using a series of loaded questions. Now the Pharisees, if you've been listening to Jesus do these various teachings and parables, um, often the the guys who don't look very good in the parables end up being the Pharisees. The religious people, you know, the religious leaders. Uh, He exposed their pride and he warned them, you know, that, that judgment could be the consequence unless they listen to him and open their hearts. Now when we say the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, it doesn't mean all. Um, it means many, but it does not mean all. There were some uh, who actually were still looking and listening and thinking about Jesus that eventually became believers. One of them uh, would be a Joseph of Arimathea right after Jesus was crucified and he gave his tomb to Jesus. I believe Joseph of Arimathea, the the Jewish Pharisee, will be in heaven. Nicodemus is another one. Came to Jesus at night. Uh, He wanted to know more. He was intrigued. He was impressed. Uh, And to him, Jesus said, you, you need to be born again, Nicodemus. So there are believers. And then after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would fall. And many of the religious Uh, Pharisees and religious Jewish leaders became believers and were part of the early church. So we're not saying everybody. But these are the the Pharisees and this group that were coming against him. Now obviously they did not like being humiliated in front of people uh, and they are bent on trying to discredit Jesus in some way. They wanna trap him so that they can arrest him. So that's partly what's going on here. But there is another reason that Jesus is being questioned and it's one that his enemies not only didn't realize, but if they had only known they were being used by their testing him and trying to trap him, they were actually fulfilling biblical prophecy. Because as we mentioned, this is called Passover week. Jesus has been explaining to his disciples the whole point of my ministry the last three years culminates this week. And this Passover, I, who am the Lamb of God, am going to be crucified and buried, and on the third day I will rise from the dead. That that was his whole life purpose was to come and to be the Passover Lamb. Three years earlier, John the Baptist had pointed Jesus out and said, behold, that man, that Jewish man right there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So Israel had been practicing Passover for 1,500 years since the days of Moses, thousands of lambs sacrificed. But as the word of God says, the blood of animals cannot really pay for the sins of men. It was all a prelude. It was a picture. It was a foreshadowing of when finally God would send his son as a man to pay for the sins of all men and women as he became the sacrificial lamb. Now here's the deal. Uh so on Palm Sunday, we know that you know Jesus sat on the little donkey and he comes down, Hosanna, Hosanna blesses you, who comes in the name of the Lord. I've mentioned to you in the past that it was on it was also on Palm Sunday that Jesus did that, that is Lamb Selection Day for the whole nation. That's the day that every family chooses their lamb. Now, when they choose their lamb that will be sacrificed on Passover. It's very important that you have a lamb that has no blemishes. It has to have no, you know, scars or imperfections or anything at all. So they they choose that. And to me, Palm Sunday was like God looking down from heaven saying, hey, Israel, choose my lamb, choose my son. He is without blemish. He is pure, holy inside and out. So he was pointing to him. But then what happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday well, in, in ancient times, what they would do is, okay, so here's our lamb that we selected that we can't find any blemish in on Sunday. Now, we put it in a little pen by uh, the family for four days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then so uh, you know Friday will be Passover. During those days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the lamb is watched, the lamb is examined every day, the lamb is inspected, they keep looking at it, And it is tested for those four days. Why? They're seeing if maybe there's a blemish that will arise that they hadn't seen or some infection that will come out or they're making sure by testing it, it doesn't have any blemishes at all. So do you see where I'm going with this? The Pharisees are examining Jesus from every single angle. They are looking desperately, trying and motivated to find a fault to find a blemish, to find something wrong that would disqualify him. But in the very end, after all that the testing that they had done, they found no fault in him. He was blameless. He was holy. He was set apart. He was sanctified. There's never been anybody like him, nor will there ever be again. He is the Holy Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But may I say then this, Jesus said that if you follow me and you are my disciples and I will lead you to heaven, I'm gone to prepare a place for you, uh, then you as my disciple will be treated in your life like I was, you also will be examined. So I wanna just say to every one of you that are believers, surely nobody here has everybody in their family and circle of friends that's 100% saved. So those who are not, are often the ones that are the most critical of you. So you're the believer in the family, you're the Christian, you're the religious guy or gal or whatever. They're constantly looking for a flaw, a weakness, something to expose or whatever. Now look, I, I wish that it was like this, that the moment your eyes are open and you're like, wow, you, you realize who Jesus is. I'm, I know I'm a sinner and, and you get saved and you ask Jesus to come into your heart and wash you in his blood and fill you with his spirit and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I think it would be kinda cool if just right then, now that you're saved, you're already now God's son or daughter for eternity, why not just pop and go into heaven immediately? How many would be okay with that? What's wrong with that? But God says, no, you are staying down here for a brief season, and during this season, I want you to grow, because I'm actually gonna share I'm gonna share with you my whole vast kingdom. By the way, that's much bigger than just the universe, which God says he spans in his hand. I'm gonna share with you everything I've got, but you gotta be ready. So I want you to not just be born again as a baby, I want you to grow up. I want you to mature. I want you to grow to the full measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. So God uses this little kind of in-between time called life on planet Earth, you know, it's not long, but it is a season. And part of that is to make us grow. And part of how you make people grow is that you test them, you examine them. And so we also will go through tests. But here's the good news. Because of what Jesus did and has gone before us, John 16:33. this is what Jesus told the disciples then, and it applies to you and I today. Let's read it out loud. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You are going to go through trials, you are going to have tribulations, you are going to have things that are not very pleasant that you have to endure. You will have enemies, you will be examined, you will be tested, but I'm telling you this so that the whole time you are going through this testing you can have peace, because I I want, in fact, I want you to be encouraged by this. I have overcome the whole world. I've defeated everything, every sin, every vice, every demon. I've defeated all. I have overcome. And as my child, I am in you. So he who began a good work in you will not stop nor cease until he's done and complete. And he will perfect that which concerns you. You will be in the end like the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, so next, Uh, when our enemies unite to trap us, we must answer with divine wisdom. So in verse 16, again, uh, they come to him and and the Herodians, the Pharisees, teacher, we know that you're a man of God. You speak the way of truth. You don't regard uh, people and position. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it Lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not. And um, so Jesus says, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. I want you to notice here that, first of all, there are two groups that are enemies. Uh, Pharisees are religious Jews, and they are seeking to follow the law. And they do not like the Herodians. The Herodians, they claim that they are Jewish also, but they're in political power, as Jews, ruling over all the other people, especially the religious Jews, and they get paid money by Rome to manage them and keep everybody under the thumb of Rome. So Pharisees despised the Herodians, political Jewish guys, and the Herodians kind of were always feeling like that we're being picked on by the Pharisees. They did not like each other one little bit. They couldn't stand each other, but both the Pharisees and the Herodians wanted to get at Jesus. So guess what? the Herodians and the Pharisees who were enemies finally came together. Have you ever heard the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? So enemies come together. And I find it interesting that right now in this world and I guess social media being such as it is, uh, there's a big target on the church, there's a big target on Christians, there's a big target on Christianity. And what's amazing is that in those groups that are criticizing, whether it's Jesus or the Bible or Christians or the church or Christianity or whatever, that are actually opposed bitter enemies of one another, isn't it interesting how they can all come together when they're attacking the Lord or attacking the church? So that's just part of the reality and what will happen. And many times when they come to us, they believe that they can trap us and make us look bad and, you know, then they can talk about it and they can tweet about it and blog about it and all the rest of it, just like they wanted to do in Jesus' day. And they want to trap you. And they, so they had, they had Jesus in this way because no matter how he answered, uh, if he said, because the dilemma was very, very palpable, if Jesus said taxes should be paid he would be accused of denying the sovereignty of God over Israel, making himself very unpopular with the Jewish people. If he said taxes should not be paid, he makes himself the enemy of Rome, he's guilty of rebellion, and they can send the Romans after him. So so the enemies are like together, okay, we got him. What's he gonna say? Should you pay taxes? Yes. Or should you pay taxes and say no? Either way, we get to jump on him and go after him. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus, knowing their hearts, um, and I love this. Uh, let's see if this is the right one. Divine wisdom. Where am I? I'm kind of actually lost on my notes. Okay, go to verse. There it is. Okay, did I did I show this one yet? No. Okay, good. Whew. This I've done this you know twice before. Okay, so. Jesus teaches us that sometimes the best answer to a question is another question. So I want to I want to just share with you something. Sometimes when people come to you and they go, oh, so you're one of those, okay. So you believe this or you believe that, and they're wanting to trap you. Have you ever has anybody ever been in a situation like that? They want to trap you. And you're like, oh, I don't want to deny the Bible. The Bible says this, and I don't. And we feel all this pressure. Or we're sweating, and you know, I remember being a young guy in Bible school, and man, I wanted to know the answer to every single question. I had to have all the apologetics down, and I'm carrying libraries of answers in my head, waiting, you know, for people to ask all of this stuff, and then to get into it. And then, may I say, I wish you would have known me when I was. Young little whipper snapper whipping and snapping in Bible college because I had the answers, man. I could, man, I'm ready for you. And I will tell you this. In my mind, I won every debate I ever had. (laughs) But I did not necessarily win everybody that I was talking to. Do you know what I'm saying? You can win the debate. You can win the argument. You can win. And, you know, they don't call them Bible thumpers for nothing. I mean, you can just have, no, the Bible says it. That's it. You know, so what I find, what I began to learn, and it takes time, uh, you know, in many ways, you know, people talk about, well, humility and it's so important, you know, that you be humble. And do you know where humility really comes from? It's not an achievement of great greatness. Humility comes from being humbled many, 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 many times where you make mistakes and you go, oh, so I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to learn from that. And humility is just kind of growing up and being honest. Like, And so, you know, people are not waiting for your great wisdom always. And what I think Jesus gives us here, some wisdom. So I'm just passing on to you what I have learned, what I've experienced, what I've come to see and appreciate that's right here in the scriptures. Sometimes somebody, they're trying to press you and they're, digging deep, and they're driving for a, tell me what you think, and driving, you go this way or that, and they got you. Sometimes the, the wisest thing you can do is to answer a question with another question. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And then, by the way, he even tells them, he goes, man, you guys are just trying to trap me. And he goes, you guys are hypocrites. He kind of exposed them. What he really was saying is, you don't really, you're not really interested in talking about the answer where your, your motivation is, you're just wanting to attack. So exposing sometimes the motivation can be a very wise thing as well. Um, it's interesting that, you know, talk about questions and how, do, how God hears Jesus, he answered a question with a question. I wanna give you an example from the Old Testament of another time and with, another, with a believer. So this is where, you know, these, these are not yet believers, but there's another time where God actually had a believer ask him questions, kind of demanding, and if I may say with a little bit of an attitude, and God responded to his questions with more questions. And his name is Job. You know the story of Job. Job, and by the way, I don't know if you know this. Some of you do. Some of you may not know, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Now that doesn't mean, you know, Moses wrote the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, but Moses lived after Job. So he wrote about earlier times, but as far as dates and who wrote the oldest book in the entire Bible, it was a guy named Job, who believed in God and God loved Job and Job had a great relationship with God. He believed in God, he was a great example in his city community, his family, he had sons and daughters, he was wealthy, he was prosperous, successful. God's blessing was on this guy. <laughs> and then sadly, in chapter one, God and the devil are having a conversation and, and God starts bragging about Job. Oh, have you seen Job? He's so awesome. He loves me so much. Let me just say, I don't necessarily want God bragging on me. So anyway, where this story goes, because then the devil goes, well, of course he loves you. Why wouldn't he? You've got him all blessed, and he's all happy and healthy and wealthy and successful, and you won't let, let nothing happen to him. But I'll tell you what, I know Job deep down. You take all that cool stuff away because he really loves you. What, what, Job, what Satan's accusation is that Job only loves you for your stuff that you give him. He doesn't really love you. Ooh. So God goes, okay, this, you can go this far. Sadly for Job, that was pretty far. He loses sons and daughters overnight, his business collapses, his success goes out the window, everything falls apart, and last of all, he's got boils head to toe, he loses his health, but he's still alive, suffering. Why God? And then a big part of the book of Job is, is about Job's three friends, which I think is hilarious and an oxymoron. Three friends. These three friends gather around Job. Well, we're gonna be with you, brother, and you're suffering and sit in the ashes with you. And basically they sit and stare at each other for a while and finally they look at him and they go, so Job, like, what did you do? Come on, dude, be honest with us. We're your bros, we know. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> Ancient Hebrew. Um, what'd you do? I mean, God did not do this to people that are cool and good and righteous. I mean, you, what did you do? You, he goes, I, did, I can't think of anything. I don't know what I did. So finally, you know, the friends are not really so much friends because they kind of accuse him. By the way, it's a good thing to learn from Job's friends not to be like Job's friends. When somebody's going through it and you're a believer, do not use that as an excuse to say, well, maybe because this is what's wrong in your life and that's what's wrong in your life. That's not being a friend. So finally, in the end, though, Job gets bold enough to where he's honest, he's raw, he's suffering, he's in pain and he takes his little clay fist and he's shaking it. God. You're a God that's so big, and you're so powerful, and why suffering? Why me? Why now? Why this? Here's what I have done for you, and now this is how you treat me. You know, and he goes on, and God allows it. So here's good news for all of us have been there. All of us have been frustrated. All of us have said, God, why? You're so big and powerful and loving. Why did this happen? Why to me? Why now? And we shake our fist. Good news about Dad. Dad. He's got big shoulders. He can take it. And, but, and the beautiful thing about Job is, rather than talking just to his friends or to uh, you know, nature, he talked to God, and he bared his soul. That's prayer, that's relationship. Raw, real honesty. You can be real with God, you can be honest with God. God can handle it. But here's what's interesting. After, he's, after all his questions, and he's waiting, he's just like you and I, you know, he didn't see anything, he's just praying by faith to God, who's the creator, but invisible until all of a sudden, oops, God literally, his presence, his power, his glory, and his voice shows up. Hey, be careful when you pray. Be very careful because God may show up in a way you had never even prepared for. And he's like, you, you, it's like, all of a sudden, where'd all those questions go, you know, right? He's like, I heard about you, but I hadn't seen you. Woo! he's shaking like a leaf in the wind. And then God starts to speak to Job. And in Job chapter 38, he gives, here's what God said. Job 38 verses four and five, let's read it out loud. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And then the next two verses. To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Job didn't, Job never, or God never answered Job directly. Here's why I did what I did. He never answers that question. God answers Job's questions with his own questions. And here's the questions that God asks. In one sense he says, be careful, son, how you talk to me and what you ask me. And he goes, I got some questions for you. He goes, so Job, when I created the vast universe and when I laid the foundations of the earth, when I took with my hand and spoke and flung the stars into the galaxies and the billions of them, And every detail and all along with it when I laid the seas and the waters and the land and the continents and the animals and the plants and everything else I don't remember seeing you there (laughs) where were you when I created everything and what God is showing is is that his His not only his power, but his mind, his ways, his thinking is so beyond we, that, that we can't figure God out. And we certainly cannot demand that he come and explain in our way. All the questions went away. You know, there's a lot of people with a lot of clay hands shaking their fist at God of all the problems in the world right now. I want to take and flip that on its head. And I think that God Himself. Could look. He could come right down here and say, look at everything I gave to you. Look at all that I've blessed you with. Look how I made you. And look how you treat one another. And the way you treat your planet, the way you treat your, your spouses and your kids and what you've done to one another. God's got some questions, don't you think? What, what have you done with what I have given you? So we have to be careful. Jesus responded to their question by asking another question. But then he went on and he said something very powerful. So verses 19 through 22, we are God's coin of worth. I'm gonna read verse 19, show me the tax money and so they brought him a denarius. So this is what the discussion's all about. Okay, show me one, give me one. I think it's interesting he didn't have one. He didn't carry Roman money, which had, you know, the face of a man that thought he was a god on it. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, so whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. I love this, brilliant. So Jesus says, okay, so this is all about these coins, show me a coin. So somebody walks up and hands him a Roman coin on it. So there you can see, that's what they did 2,000 years ago. That's a 2,000-year-old coin, Look at the little face, the little mug on it is a caricature, an impression of the face of none of that. He put his name on it, Nero. So Jesus says, okay, who made this? The, the, the emperor Nero did. Uh, whose face is that? He put his face on it. Well, that's Nero. Whose name is written on it? Well, it's Nero. And Jesus basically says, well, if he made it, put his face on it, wrote his name on it, it's probably his. So give it back to him and then give God the things that are God's. Meaning, if God makes something, if God puts his face on it, and God writes his name in it, you better give it back to him. And that's every single one of us. You are the coin of God. You are the coin of God, that and that coin, like they, he, you know, he made it out of gold. because Nero was saying, "I want to be worshipped as God. This is my coin. This is my measure of exchange. This is my worth, my value. This is what I think my empire is worth," and that you can you can exchange that for all kinds of stuff. It has power and weight, and the army of Nero behind it. So God says, "What's important to me? What's valuable to me? What I exchange in my vast kingdom that's way bigger than just." The physical planet where I put my image and where I have written my name is on human beings. Every nation, every language, every kindred, and every tribe all around the earth. Seven billion of us right here, right now, bearing the image of God. And wherever you see the image of God, and God put his name on it, and God made it, and God minted it, and it's valuable to him, and he's put a value upon it that he gave his only begotten son for it, then you better give back to God what is his, and that's you and me. Can I hear an amen? The ultimate question. Whose image are we carrying? And I want you to sit here this. You know, in this day of Facebook and Facebook. Everybody's face that wants to be famous. uh, Whose image are we made in? You're not even made in your own image. You are made in the image of God. Therefore, you do not belong to yourself. So I want to share with you, there, there's a beautiful scripture that is in, from the New Testament. It's from the book of James. James happens to be the half-brother of Jesus, which is about as wild as you could possibly get. I mean, imagine being James. I grew up, I had this brother. <laughs> it was like he never did anything wrong, and then <laughs> he became the Messiah. And I didn't believe in him until after he was gone and resurrected. And the brother I didn't believe in, after he rose from the dead, after being crucified, showed up in my room and I saw his face. And James is the one who wrote this book. Now he says something very interesting. James chapter 1 verse 22. Let's read it out loud. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So here's what James is saying. He says… Don't just read it and don't just hear it, but be doers of the word. And by the way, James gives us an illustration. The word of God is like a mirror. And when you look in a mirror, you get the real, it, it reflects perfectly the image that is cast into it. Now he goes on in verse 25, James one25 Let's read this. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. James is speaking about what you can expect the Word of God to do for you. He is, he's saying, "This is a powerful, powerful mirror. It's a supernatural mirror. Therefore you better make. But Good use of the mirror that you have been given because you know, what good is a mirror? To see what you look like if when you look in the mirror you realize wow I have got dirt all over my face You didn't realize you've been out working in the yard or the garden and and you're you're dirty and you realize not until you look in the Mirror wow, I didn't realize how much dirt I accumulated and you're supposed to go out on a date with this beautiful girl tonight so that's why you're looking in the mirror is to get ready for the cool date with the beautiful girl. And then you look and you notice that you have stains on your clothes. You know, you've been out and, and you, you, it's part of it got ripped up and you're like, whoa, I need to change my clothes. And then you look at your hair and you realize, whoa, I, I need to put a comb through that rascal and get it, you know, ready for tonight and the date. Now, if you look at that, and then you walk away and don't do anything about it, and then you go to the date and she's like, ah, uh, let's make this quick, you know, and she's not into it. It's like you were, you looked in the mirror, but you didn't take advantage or use the mirror for the reason that God gave it to you. In the same way, when we look into the mirror of God's Word, we don't just see our outward physical form, really but we see something that is not revealed anywhere else. No one else and nowhere else will you get the revelation of who you really are on the inside. And by the way, the mirror shows you what you look like, but you're the one that has to respond and do something. The mirror shows you your hair is messed up, but the mirror doesn't comb your hair. The mirror shows you that you got stains on your clothes, but the mirror doesn't change your clothes. The mirror reveals that you got dirt all over your face, but the mirror doesn't wash your face and your hands. You have to do that. Does that make sense? That's the part that we have to do. But there's another part to it that is absolutely incredible and beautiful. And this is what the mirror of God's word does because the mirror of the word of God, and it's, there's no other place on the planet earth that does this. The Word of God, this magical, supernatural mirror, reveals to you your true identity. You are who the Bible says you are. You are who God says you are. This is your true identity. That's why I encourage you, look in the mirror daily. Read the Word of God daily. It reveals who you are. You are not who you say you are, you are who God says you are. You're not even who your parents say you are. You are every bit exactly who God says you are. And sadly, many, many, many children of God that are saved do not really know their true identity. And it's a hodgepodge. It's kind of like, well, something, my broken upbringing and parents, but it wasn't quite. And then it's what I've tried to do and what other people have thrown on me. And it's it's bad. No, 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 no. You are who God says you are. You are everything that God says that you are. That's why there are 7,000 promises in the Bible. Every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. This is who you are. So I want to just share with you, you know, in just a minute, you know, when I, in my walk, in my relationship with God, how, how does God speak to me? or What do I hear? What is he saying to me? He takes what I read in the word and in my personal daily prayer life, God personalizes all of that that's in the word that tells me who I really am. He says, you're my son. You, son, I love you so much. Every day God reminds me of how much he loves me. He goes, and by the way, I think you're awesome. I go, I'm good with that. He goes, I have such amazing plans for you. I've been setting you up for success and for joy. He goes, there's going to be people you're going to meet this week that I've been setting up for decades. And they're going to be tremendous blessings. Be paying attention because there's nobody that comes into your life by accident. Many have entertained strangers and unaware And yet they actually entertained angels. He's probably talking about Abraham, but it's probably true of you as well. And then he goes, and guess what? Every day, every morning, the moment that you wake up, my mercies are new, son. Every day you get a brand new clean slate. And I'm like, wow, Lord. He goes, and I have grace for you. And you know what? You are highly favored. Not only are you on earth, he goes, but in heaven and among my angels, we all know who the believers are, we, and the angels see the light and the glory of my spirit within them. They honor that. In fact, they count it a tremendous privilege to minister unto you and your family down there upon the earth. It's wonderful. And you are the apple of my eye. I value you, I treasure you, I love you. I've written things out even for your future and things that you're gonna do and places that you're gonna go. It's absolutely incredible. And by the way, I can't wait for you to open my word this morning. I'm gonna reveal a little bit more of your true identity that you haven't seen yet. Man, do you realize how I get excited every day to get into the Word of God? Lord, what do you have to say to me today? Dad, how do you want to bless me today? What are you going to encourage me with today? I get my identity directly from the Bible, from the Word of God, from the promises of God. And man, that will change your life. It will absolutely change your life. (laughs) Amen? So I want to close, I mean, we could go on with many of them, but I'm going to close real quick with just, you know, three. You Come to a Scripture, it's not just to read it, understand it, but the most important part is the application of it to you personally. Number one, we are complete in Christ. You ever feel like you're not complete? Not true. Truth is, you have everything you need in Jesus. Let's read Colossians 2.10, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Everything you need is in Jesus. Number two, we can do all things in Christ. I don't, I don't know, can I do this? Oh, I don't know if I could do that. But the Bible says, here's your true identity, you can do it all. Let's read Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And again, the secret Greek meaning of the word all is all. There's no secret to it. You can do anything, it's yours. And then thirdly, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Let's read Romans eight thirty-seven. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Your life should be a series of successive conquering. Conquering this area. Next, we're conquering that area. Conquering, conquering from faith to faith, from glory to glory on up until we finally see him face to face. That's what God has for you. That's how to live. That's how to walk in the Spirit, how to be a son of God. Your identity is in the mirror of God's Word. God will reveal supernaturally His part. There's some things you have to do to respond to it, but together, it will make you everything that God intended you to be. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.